good. It's good to be with you guys again. <laughs> Spent the week in uh, the mountains of North Carolina. It was really fantastic. The vineyard does these um, uh, worship leader retreats uh, twice a year, but this year they're moving to three times a year, and we've just been really blessed to go and be a part of those. And uh, Hannah and Sarah and Sam, they led worship on uh, Thursday night, which is sort of like the worship blowout night, and which, like, if you're going to lead worship, that's when you want to lead worship. It's the cool night to lead worship, and they destroyed it, you know. And people come up to me afterwards, they're like, "Man, what is up with those people at your church?" I'm like, "There's even more that you haven't met." It's the it's the really cool part. So it's cool to go get to be with the Vineyard family uh, from all over, and uh, there's just stuff going on everywhere in the Vineyard. Uh, the things that are happening here, they're just like one-tenth of one percent of everything that God is doing in the vineyard right now. He, like the tribe, the vineyard tribe is so healthy right now. And it's really, really, really cool. Um, all right, hey, want to continue on in our new series here that we're doing at the vineyard. Uh, the series that we're in right now is called Both And. Um, and what we're talking about for the next few weeks is we are looking at the scriptures and we're looking especially at the life of Jesus and we're discovering how uh, Jesus... Um, is inviting us into a both-and lifestyle rather than an either-or lifestyle. Culture is trying to push you and I uh, into either-or categories, trying to define us by um, either the things we like to buy or the things that we're against, the political movements that we uh, either identify with or do not identify with. And one of the things that we've discovered, and I hope we continue to discover, is that the kingdom of God is bigger than Republican or Democrat. The kingdom of God is bigger than uh, whether you buy Nikon cameras or whether you buy Canon cameras. And you can't get your identity from what you buy, and you can't get your identity from what you're against or what you're for. Your identity only comes, the true identity that settles who you are and makes you satisfied as a person and causes you to be a real human being as God designed you to be, can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so we're looking for that. And, uh, and here's what we found. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is, is bigger than all of these categories, and he's inviting everyone to move. See, sometimes what we happen is we'll just talk politically here for a minute because those things seem to be wound up right now um, with the government shutdown and whatnot. Uh, sometimes what, what, what happens is this, is, is we think that, oh, this one agenda is like the good agenda. And Jesus, on the other hand, is looking at both parties right now, and he's saying, I would like you to look at me. That's what Jesus is saying right now. And so sometimes we, and the, the problem with an either-or mindset like this, or finding our identity in political agendas and assuming that one way is the right way, uh, the problem with that is, is it causes it to be us to be us versus them. Okay, We're the good guys, and so by, by proxy, what has to happen is everyone else has to move in order to, to be a part of God's kingdom, or they have to move in order to be a part of the right thing. And what Jesus is saying is everybody has to move. See, in the kingdom of heaven, everybody has to move. On the left, you have to move over, and on the right, you have to move over, and you have to find him and follow him. And hopefully that's what we're discovering. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about what I feel like is one of the foundational issues of life, and one of the things that we understand very little in the church. We've investigated it very little, and it's going to take a little while for... Uh, maybe us to figure out how this fits into both and, but you'll see. Um, the thing I want to talk to you about this morning is I want to talk to you about seasons, and I want to talk to you about, uh, really I want to talk to you about seasons in God, okay? Uh, there's just a, a, two scriptures that I want to hold together this morning, and I think they're foundational scriptures for our whole life. 
as odd as it may seem. And the first scripture is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. This is probably not the scripture you thought I was going to pull up this morning, but that's where we're going first. So what it says. It says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Now, I also want to put up John chapter 5, verse 17. And in his defense, Jesus said to him, them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Uh, here are the ideas that I want to hold together this morning. Uh, number one, that there is a season and there's a time for everything. Uh, we don't talk about this a lot in church, and we don't think about it a lot, but there is there's a time for everything. And the thing I want us to hold together with this is this idea, that the father is always at work. The father is always at work. So what's the point? I'm telling you the point right up front. The point is this. There are all kinds of seasons in life. Uh, Everybody in the room is experiencing all kinds of seasons in life. And God is always at work. Meaning there is never a time in your life when God is not at work. Uh, Let me go, we're going to, hopefully what we'll discover by the end of this is that uh, there is never a time when God is more at work or less at work than he is right now in your life. I know that that a lot of preachers are trying to tell you that one day God is going to do more. I'm here to tell you he is doing as much right now. He is active in your life right now. And just like he will be later. We don't have to put all of our hope tomorrow. We can begin to enjoy God right now because he's here and he's at work. My father is always at work. Okay? So I want to talk about seasons this morning. God's into seasons and God's into process. Um, And when it comes to the seasons and the processes of God, there are all kinds of seasons and processes. And all of them um, are explaining to us who God is and the way he works. So, for instance... um, there are seasons like spring and summer, fall and winter, natural seasons. Um, and, and the natural seasons are telling us something about who God is and how he works. Not only that, but there, uh, if we can take that maybe a bit more uh, poetic, we could talk about planting and then cultivation and then harvest and then rest. These are seasons in God. Uh, they're in the natural, but they reflect to us who God is, how he works, and, and the way he's designed life to go. Furthermore, there's another season. It's called conception gestation, delivery, and then growth and maturation. And this season is also telling us something about who God is, who we are, and how, how God is at work in the, in the world. Um, it's interesting to me that the God who spoke the words, spoke the worlds into existence by his words, is also the God, on, on the one hand, who overshadowed Mary, something that was clearly supernatural, a sexless conception. So we got this God who speaks the worlds into existence, he overshadows a 16-year-old girl, and she becomes pregnant, though she didn't have sex, and then afterwards, life gets really normal. It's, it's interesting to me that, that when God wanted to make his big move, it's interesting to me when God wanted to make his big move, and when he wanted to set the world right, uh, he sent his son, and when he sent his son, he didn't send Jesus as like a flaming ball out of heaven that like hovered over the earth and spoke. How many of you understand that if God had sent his son as a flaming ball of fire and he had uh, come into the earth and like hovered over the earth maybe like 30 feet and spoke and everyone could hear it around, how many of you understand that uh, people would, would see and believe and respond to that, right? It, it, may, it could have potentially been more effective, right? Potentially could have been more effective. He didn't do that. Uh, furthermore, God, when he decided to set the world right by sending his son, he also didn't send full-grown Jesus, he could have sent full-grown Jesus. I hope you understand that God was under no contractual obligation to send Jesus as a baby, right? 
So if he's under no contractual obligation, if no one has any handcuffs on God telling him how he has to do things, if he decides to send Jesus as an eight-pound, five-ounce baby boy, like Ricky Bobby really does have it right, if he decides to send Jesus as an eight-pound, five-ounce baby boy, then he must have done it because he wanted to do it that way. And if he wanted to do it that way, then he's telling us something beyond just the son that he sent. Does this make sense? This is really important. So good students of Jesus are always looking at how God does something and not just what he does. Okay? This is a really big deal. Um, And I think it's one of those things that we sometimes overlook. Good students of Jesus are not just listening to what God is saying, but we should be listening to how he's saying it. We don't watch just what he's doing, but we should be watching how he's doing it. Uh, The method is part of the message. Uh, God has a knack for weaving together brilliant but subtle tapestries. Um, one way we might look at this is, is this. Uh, Jesus is the bold colors of the Trinity put on display. Jesus is the bold colors of the, of the Trinity put on display. The incarnation is a wonder. Sexless conception is a wonder. And at Jesus' coming, there were angelic visitations, astrological signs, immaculate conception, yet all of this happened to a 16-year-old girl, someone who could be utterly discounted and overlooked. Isn't that amazing? So God, on the one hand, is doing these unbelievable, supernatural things that no one else but God can do, and He's doing them through and to a 16-year-old girl that no one would believe. And one of the things that we see in the way that God works is this. If you don't want to see what He's up to, you don't have to. You actually have to be able to look at, at, at the activity of God with eyes of faith. In the kingdom of God, basically everybody's finding what they look for. He... It's, br- it's brilliant color, but it's subtle at the same time. And so when Jesus was born, it was without fanfare. It was in a barn. The conception was, the conception was immaculate, but the delivery was a bloody mess. And the point here is, is this, that oftentimes God's boldest colors are the muted ones. And when God is moving, you can see basically what you want to see. So if God sent a baby tender and helpless and vulnerable to set the world right and to save us from the path that we had chosen to wander down, then at least part of what he must be saying is that process conception, gestation, delivery, and growth are one of the main ways that the kingdom comes. How does the kingdom come? One of the main ways that the kingdom comes is by seasons and by process. And right now, everybody in the room is, is experiencing a season in God and experiencing the processes of God. You're, every person in here, and, and not only are you experiencing some seasons now, but until the day you draw your last, last breath, you're going to be uh, you're going to be drawn through the seasons and the processes of God. Now, instinctually, we all know this, but we lose sight of it sometimes. And I think there's two main reasons. There's a few more, but we don't have time to get into them all this morning. But there's two main reasons that we lose sight of the seasons of God. And, and the first reason is because uh, you're part of the vineyard. Um, what I mean by that is this, is that kingdom power movements, kingdom power movements, Expect and anticipate power, and that's a good thing. But the problem with it is, is that the expectation of the sudden and the extraordinary can blind us to the subtle and the quiet moves of the same spirit. So what we expect and what we anticipate can also blind us to another way in which God moves. Uh, here at the Vineyard, we expect that God is going to uh, heal the sick. We don't just expect it, but we see it. In fact, we see it every single week. People get healed here in the Vineyard every single week, and not just here, but when... Uh, you guys are out praying for the sick at your work and at your home. People are getting healed. But it's our expectation that God wants to move at instantaneously that can also blind us to the subtle, slow, progressive, conceptual 
seasonal move of God. Does this make sense? Um, See, what I want to see can keep me from seeing what I don't expect is another way of saying that. And the second reason that we, um, that we lose sight of the seasons of God and, and, and become unaware is very simple. It's because seasons change so slowly and gradual that it's difficult to see beyond the moment that you're currently in. Um, I think everybody in the room has lived in Kentucky long enough to know that July is the most miserable month in Kentucky. <laughs> When we're in July, it's just it's just awful. It's so humid outside. You you think you're just going to sweat and die. That's it. You know, you take a shower, you walk outside, and you're instantly just a mess. It's, it's suffocating. But then then August comes along, and and the truth is August is just as hot. Except one of the things that people don't realize is this: in August, uh, at night it starts to cool down, and the humidity leaves in August. But the trouble is it's so slow and it's so gradual that you can actually take a July mindset into August and complain more or, or more or as much as you did in July about what is not happening when the truth is it's already getting better. You just weren't perceptive of it. You didn't realize it. Wait till next August. You'll see what I'm talking about. It actually starts cooling off at night in August. July, you can't breathe. In August, it'll change. But it changes so slow that you can carry that mindset with you. So it's easy... Easy to lose sight of it. So what I want to do this morning is I want to, I want to spell out some of the seasons of God uh, so that we might grow in our awareness and our ability to partner, without, to partner with God without losing heart. And, that, and that's the main thing that I want to get to this morning is uh, we can't lose heart. See, if, you don't, if you're not aware of this stuff, you could be in, in, involved in a really important process in God and you could lose heart. And um, the way I want to talk about this this morning is I want to talk about this uh, in terms of conception, gestation, delivery, and then growth and maturation, okay? Uh, We could have talked about it in a lot of other ways, but that's the way I want to choose it this morning. And uh, we're going to walk through it, and I think think the Lord has a word for us. Uh, So the first thing I want to talk to you about this morning is conception. And the first thing I want to say about conception is this, is conception is just great. Conception is just so fun. <laughs> Conception is awesome. Right? I mean, <laughs> this is a group of people who have been involved in that, right? <laughs> I think it's great. I mean, heck. Conception's fantastic. It's It's fun. Like when you're in the conception season, it's just fun. It's the season when you're fertile and God is seeding your thoughts in your heart and you're so willing to receive. It's just, it's like God is moving and you're just, it's just fun. Like everything is fun and it's, it's like you can just feel it. Like, and your heart is just exploding and your mind is filled with new ideas and possibilities and vision and you're just like ready to burst like how many of you all have ever had a conception season it's just it's all ideas and it's all possible anybody like you're just yeah you're just in conception season it's like yes everything is possible uh you're more idealistic than you've ever been um you're just you're, you're just you're naked and you're just so happy that's basically what it is you're there is there is um 
it's this idea that um, I'm just uncovered before God, and I'm just there's no shame, and I'm going for it, and and He's just so kind to me, and um, it's it's the most fun. Um, it's the season of love and affection. It's a season of joy. It's also a season of supernatural encounter. You'll know you're in conception season when you're having supernatural encounter after supernatural encounter. Uh, this is what happened to Mary when she became. Uh, pregnant with Jesus, it was the most, it was the most radically um, supernatural moment up, of her life up to that time. Uh, and she met the Gabriel, she met the angel Gabriel. I mean, it's sort of a big deal, right? He's one of the main guys in heaven. She meets him, not, uh, not in a dream, but she meets him face to face. Like the dude lives in heaven before God all the time, and Gabriel comes before her. This is a conception moment. It's a conception season. Not only that, but she becomes pregnant without having sex at all. And it's just the Holy Spirit hovers over her. Uh, not only that, but when her husband Joseph is thinking, I'll just get, put her away and I'm just going to divorce her and I'll do it quietly because I'm a good guy. Uh, he gets a dream and the angel comes to him in the dream and says, don't do it. This is from God. And he somehow believes it. See what I'm saying? So conception is fun, but it's also this time when like God is like so near and present in your life. Anybody have seasons like that? Yeah, when, when the voice of God is so loud, you're seeing things you've never seen, you're having dreams, you're having visions, you've got hope in your heart. This is a conception season in your life. And, uh, and it feels like God is so near. Uh, it's a time for singing. Uh, when Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she burst out in a song. Read the second chapter of Luke. Everybody's singing in the second chapter of Luke. First and second chapters. Why? Because it's conception seeking. Like, you're so happy. Like, it, it's consummation. It's, everything is there. Everything is there. Not only that, but it's a time for laughing. It's a time for laughing. Mary walks into her cousin's house, and John the Baptist jumps in his mother's belly, just does a backflip. What's that about? It's conception season. And it's a time for knowing, and it's a time for being known. In brand new ways. It's like a honeymoon. I don't know if you understand this or not, but when you go on a honeymoon with your husband or your wife, uh, in that moment, on that first night, you get, you get to know someone and be known in a brand new way. And that feels incredible. Uh, beyond the physical act itself, the emotional and the psychological just space that happens of getting to know someone in a brand new way and being known in a brand new way. And you've, and you've never known anyone in that way, and you've never been known in that way. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. You're in a conception season. Um, it's, conception season is the season when you realize that God isn't far away. He's actually near. And not only is He near, but He's showering you with affection. It's the moment when your life begins to take a new turn, maybe in a direction you never considered. It's the time when you receive a new call. How many of you understand that Mary, Mary didn't, she never dreamed that she was going to be the, the mother of God. She, like, how do you know you're in conception season? When you begin to move in directions you never thought about in your whole life. That's when you know you're in a conception season. And it's fun. It's exhilarating. I didn't know I was going to go in that direction. And here I am, and I'm, I'm heading off into someplace new. And just when you begin to get comfortable with this conception and consummation season, the season changes and it's gestation. And gestation, by the way, is totally different. The women in here are going, yeah, it's totally different. 
It's a time that can be really confusing. And it's a time when everything you just, when everything you just learned and heard and felt from God in the previous season seems to be completely gone. And at times, to even speak of that season brings nothing but trouble. Again, I'd like you to consider Mary. Supernatural conception season. Holy Spirit hovers over her. She's pregnant. She didn't have sex. And then to even tell the story brings nothing but trouble for her. Imagine that, right? So 16-year-old girl is pregnant, and she has to tell her mom and dad because she still lives with them, and she's not married. And when she goes to tell mom and dad, hey, I'm mom and dad, I'm pregnant, but it's okay. God did it to me. How many of you understand that the story doesn't help you? Like at all. In fact, the story might make it worse. In fact, it would probably have gone over a lot better at Mary's house if she had just said, yeah, Joseph and I, we just, uh, we burned with passion and we couldn't help ourselves. It's, it's that season when everything changes and then to even speak of it brings you like shame and people don't understand it. People begin to make up stories and speculate about you. Even though you did everything right. See, sometimes in life, you do every single thing right and everyone else thinks that you did it wrong. That's one of the signs that you're in a gestation season. When you've done, when you've done nothing but righteousness by God and by everyone else, but everyone else thinks that you're the worst person in the room and you can't even, to even tell the story, to try to fill them in on the sides and in the back makes it worse, Good news, you're probably in some kind of a gestation season. Uh, when it seems like it's the exact opposite of conception, you're definitely in gestation. Before there's delivery, you will go through a season that is the exact opposite of everything you heard in God during conception. Uh, God will promise you things in conception, and I promise you this, in gestation, it will be the exact opposite. It will seem like nothing is happening. It will seem like nothing is happening. So God says to Israel, I'm going to give you a, land, a promised land. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey, except the season that came right after that was wilderness. You, you go through the exact opposite season. Uh, Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be pregnant, and it's going to be incredible, and you're going to have a son. And the next three months was nothing. And she looks at her belly, and it's flat. And then she looks at her belly, and it's flat. And she begins to think, and my, what is going on? Did I hear God at all? That's what she's literally thinking. That's what she's literally thinking. Did I hear God at all? Uh, one of the ways you know you're in gestation is if you receive a great promise from the Lord and then there's an extended season of quietness that makes you think you never heard Him. Joseph had a dream of his brothers and his mother and his dad bowing down to him. Eleven stars, the sun and the moon bowed down to him. He tells his family, Hey, I had a dream last night had a dream that 11 stars, sun and moon, bowed down to me. Instantly, the family knows what this is, and they say, are we going to bow down to you? Guess what the next picture in Joseph's life is? Rather than them bowing down to him, it's Joseph in a pit with black and blue eyes looking up at them, and he's sold into slavery and headed to Egypt. It's the exact opposite. Where was Joseph at that time? He's, in con- he's, he's not in conception anymore. He's in gestation. And he's thinking... Did I hear God? That's what he's thinking. If your brothers beat you to a bloody pulp and throw you in a pit and sell you to slave traders, how many of you understand that you'd be reconsidering everything you saw in that prophetic dream? (laughs) How many want to have prophetic dreams now? 
<laughs> Anybody? Takers? And after Mary met the angel, there was nothing. Absolutely nothing. And then she was late. And then there's nothing. And then she got later, but there's nothing. Her belly is flat as a pancake. Gestation is a time of hiddenness. God is work. God is at work, but it's largely an unseen work. Completely hidden for months. Nothing happened. It's a time of hiddenness. It's a time of being unseen. When the prophet came to Jesse's house, all the brothers were called except for David. Why? Because David was so unimportant. Completely hidden out in his father's field. Finally, the prophet presses and they bring David to him and He says, yeah, this is the guy. And they pour the oil over David. And then David goes into another season of hiddenness that's the exact opposite of what the prophet just poured and prophesied to him. It's a time of running away from a king rather than being a king. It's gestation. I've got some really good news for everybody in the room this morning. Uh, Every single disciple of Jesus is going to go through an extended period of hiddenness in their life. Probably multiple seasons of hiddenness. Uh, You're going to go through seasons of your life where God gives you a promise and then you will walk in the exact opposite of it. If it's a real promise from God, uh, the promise will be tested. Abraham received a promise and 25 years later, the son of promise came. Everybody who receives a promise will walk in the exact opposite. Before you get a promised land, you're going to get a wilderness. Before you, get, before you have a baby, there's going to be nothing in a story you have to tell. But when you, Before there is brothers and sisters who bow down to you, you will be in the bottom of a pit looking up at them. I can assure you this. Everyone here is going to get covered up in hiddenness. And you'll begin to wonder if you ever heard from God at all. And by the way, the greater the promise, the greater, greater the hiddenness and the trouble. So if you get a really, really great promise from the Lord, good news. You're going to have a lot of trouble and it's going to be, you're going to get really hidden for a long time. Uh, why? Uh, is God trying to make things more ironic and painful? No, he's not. It's just that he knows the future from, from the present and the past. And he knows that you need a great promise to get through the great wilderness you're about to go through. It's not, that he's, it's not that he's putting things in tension so that it will be ironic and painful for you. He knows that there's going to be pain anyway. He's giving you a great promise so that you can actually make it through. You need to hang on to it. So when the Lord gives you a promise, you should write it down and you should review them. I have a little folder on my computer. It's full of promises and, and prophetic words from the Lord. And I, I constantly review them. And the, the best and the biggest prophetic words that the Lord has given me, I haven't even begun to see yet. It's hiddenness. Uh, every disciple of Jesus is going to be hidden. Uh, Everybody in here has a call in God, and before you move in the call in God, you're going to be uh, overlooked and forgotten. Um, Before you ever, I'll change the metaphor again, before you ever stand on stage and play guitar, uh, you're going to be overlooked and not asked to do anything, even though you may be better than the person who's currently singing and playing guitar. Uh, That will always happen. Uh, Everybody everybody who does anything significant, before you have a great business, uh, you'll be forgotten, and no one will hire you to even mow their grass. Count on it. And then after gestation, after you carry this thing, comes delivery. And delivery is a season in which all that was promised burst into life, and there's so much joy. Delivery is the season when the joy is mixed with pain as well. Uh, Heather and I have four children. And there's a moment that happens 
when a baby goes from being inside the belly to being in the room. Uh, and that moment is incredibly painful. And there's a feeling of, but then at the same time, even though there's all that pain in the room right there, there's this feeling that happens um, when a baby makes his way into the world. And when, when a little baby shows up in the room, uh, hardened criminals will cry. There, there, there's a joy in there that I've never, I, I've, nothing touches it, nothing comes close. Nothing comes close. It's stunning. And so delivery is a time where the joy is mixed with pain. It takes so much to get that little sucker out. Uh, when I don't think Heather will mind me saying this, but <laughs> she's a good woman. Where are you at, baby? Uh, when, when Heather is giving birth to a kid, she is a mixture of Marshawn Lynch and a grizzly bear. I mean, there's... There is, there is no, there is, I, the intensity in the room, it's, you know, you've seen that, you guys have, football guys, have you seen that play uh, a couple years ago where Marshawn Lynch is running and he like hits that guy, he hits the linebacker and throws him like 15 yards? That's my wife when she's getting a kid out. It's unbelievable. There's, it's stunning and there's so much pain and she's one of these women who's like, I don't want any you know, I don't want any intervention. I don't want any painkillers, just whatever. And so even this last little guy, Rowan, um, he, he wasn't coming fast enough, so they said, we're going to give you a little Pitocin. Uh, Heather, do you want an epidural? She's like, no. And she's just, you know. She's, she's incredible, and there's so much pain, uh, and there's so much work. I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I, the, the worst feeling is the husband being standing right there next to her as your wife is enduring this. There's nothing really you can do. You're just captive to this drama that's happening it's so intense and it's so painful and then all of a sudden all the pain gets eclipsed by joy sense of relief the knowledge that God didn't leave us out to dry there's also a sense of wonder there's wonder because as great as the promise was the, re- the reality is infinite, infinitely better um, when you're in delivery season, when you're beginning to see the promise realized, it's infinitely better than the promise. It's infinitely better than you ever imagined it was. It's, it's the difference between a 3D picture of your baby, whatever that, th- the, that <laughs> ultrasound. It's the difference between a 3D ultrasound and holding your baby, you know? The promise is the 3D ultrasound. Holding your baby is the, is the reality. And it's infinitely better. So for all the pain there is in, in, the, in the process and for all the pain there is in delivery, um, there's this unbelievable joy and it eclipses the pain. And, and one of the ways that you know you're in delivery mode is this, is, is that the joy isn't just for you, but it's a season of communal joy. It's where, where your joy became everyone else's joy. And, and I, I've, I've seen this happen four times. Have you ever noticed that in... Uh, delivery, the whole community gets enriched. Um, one of the ways that, you've, that you know that you've been involved in the processes and the seasons of God is when your tears become everyone else's joy. 
when your promise and your confusion and your hiddenness and your pain become everyone else's joy. That's the fingerprint of God. Uh, this is one of the ways that you know that you're involved in a process and a season of God. Um, Heather is uh, just working so hard to get these little babies out and there's tears and I'm, I'm frozen, you know. And then the baby comes in the room and I just start laughing. And I look up at Heather and she starts laughing. Uh, so it's her pain and then my parents come in and they start laughing. That's when you know you're in part of God's processes. When your pain and your confusion and your hiddenness and, and your promise becomes joy for everybody else. You cry, but the parents come in and they're laughing. That's the kingdom, by the way. And then the, then the season changes again. And, and now we're in a season of growth and maturation. And this season is another season of quiet continuation. And probably the most profound confusion happens in this season. The reason there's confusion is it's so normal. It's so normal we wonder where the spark is. Imagine Mary pregnant by the Spirit gives birth in a barn. And then there's little Jesus a couple years later, the wise men come and they drop off gifts and there's another little spark. And then it gets really quiet, y'all. Four-year-old Jesus. All those promises, all those promises of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. But Jesus is just four years old. He's running around. He's playing with blocks and stuff. And then Jesus is seven. He's just hanging with his friends. Imagine me and Mary. You got all these promises. You didn't have sex with Joseph, and there is the product of your sexless union, and there is Jesus, seven years old, playing with his friends and all these promises, and he's just so flipping normal. And then Jesus is 15. He's got a little facial hair, smells bad. Mary has to make him go take a shower. Significantly ripe Jesus. 15 years old. Then Jesus is 20. Then Jesus is 20 and it, it, nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not one miracle. Not, not one shred of evidence. One little episode when he was 12, it was odd, but we didn't know what to make of that when it happened. And then there's 25-year-old Jesus, full-on man, making coffee tables with his dad. And so Mary lays with Joseph at night, and she rolls over to him, and she says to him, Do you think I'm crazy? He says, What do you mean? You know what I mean. Do you think I'm crazy? I, I don't think you're crazy, but what do you mean? Joseph, you know I never slept with anyone else, don't you? I believe you. Well, then, what's he doing? <laughs> Joseph says, I don't know. 
Joseph says to Mary, do you think I'm crazy? No, I don't think you're crazy. Well, maybe you are crazy for staying with me. 25-year-old Jesus, full of promise. The entire scripture is about this guy. And he's just building coffee tables with his dad. And his mom and dad are occasionally up at night discussing whether or not they're crazy. Why? Because they're in a season of growth and maturation. And it's so quiet that you wonder where the spark is and you think that God's left you again. And the most profound confusion happens when you're actually living in the promise that seems too normal to be from God. This is the season where we discover that it's not about us. It's about someone else. This is also the season in life where we learn how to disciple and to raise other people up. This is the season where we teach what we know and we reproduce in others the things that God has planted in us. What, what did Mary and Joseph know? Well, uh, Joseph knew how to make coffee tables, so he, taught just, so he taught Jesus what he knew. He discipled Jesus in what he knew. That's what you do in the growth and maturation stage. Like, if you don't know what God's doing, just teach, teach somebody what you already know. Even if it's really normal, even if it's really common, just teach them what you know. Raise them up. Just begin to raise them up in what you know. God is going to take care of everything else. Uh, if you've been given massive promises and, and, and there's been a birthing, but now the birthing has gone so normal that you wonder if any of it's from God, it's time to lean in, to, in, in reproducing in others, what you've, at least up to what you know already. And so uh, what did Mary teach Jesus? Uh, she probably taught Jesus how to make his bed and, and how to make a decent dinner when Joseph and her were out. And, and Joseph's teaching how to make coffee tables. And it's the season where you learn it's, it's really not about you. And the, and the main thing you learn in the growth and maturation stage is this, is that you can't make any of the promises of God come to pass. You can't make any of it happen. All you can do is, is, is steward it and, and hold it and care for it and cry over it and, and, and ask your significant other if you're crazy. That's all you can do and, and teach it what you know and, and raise it up and, and disciple. That's all you can do, but you can't make any of it happen. And all the while, all the while, God is at work. In the absolute quiet, God is at work. In John chapter 1, it says that, it says about Jesus that the Word became flesh. How many of us understand that Jesus is the Word of God? Jesus is the Word of God. Uh, he, he was always the Word of God. He has always been the Word of God. He is currently the Word of God, and He will always be the Word of God. So we need to reflect just for a moment on what that means, because it will help us through a growth and maturation season. What does it mean? Well, it means this. It means that when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he was the Word of God. And it means that when Jesus was healing blind Bartimaeus, he was the Word of God. And it means that when Jesus was asleep on the boat and the waves were rushing in and he wasn't saying a word, he was the Word of God. And the Word of God is, you can sleep through storms. God is always speaking. And when, uh, and not only that, but when, uh, when Jesus was 25 and he was making coffee tables with his father, he was the word of God. And when he was 15 and he didn't smell great and he was hanging out with his friends, 
he was the word of God. And when he was seven, and he was just running around the house making toys out of sticks and, and laughing and wrecking his room, he was the word of God. And when he was four, and when he was two, and when he was one, and when he was eight and a half months in his mother's belly, he was the word of God. He has always been the word of God in every single season. Um, one of the things we have to come to is this, is that God is never more or less at work, and he's never more or less present than he is right now. This is one of the great lies that spontaneous instant worldviews would like to place upon us. It's the lie that when we are gestating something and when we are growing something, that we are out of the, out of the flow of God's kind of life. That's a lie. One of the things that, that, that either or instantaneous worldviews one of the lies that they want to tell you is that if you're in a gestation mode, growing something in God, or if you're in a growth and maturation, a stewardship of something in God, uh, they want that lie that comes is this, uh, that you're out of, the, out of the flow of God's kind of life because it isn't spectacular. It's so crazy normal. It's so, you could lose it. Those kinds of thoughts tend to make you anxious and short-sighted. We lose the ability to see God at work in the quiet and in the normal. And when you lose the ability to see God at work in the quiet and the normal, you'll actually begin to despise that season. Even though he's just as much at work. Jesus was the word of God when he was seven years old doing nothing but playing at home. God was just as much at work. God was just as much at work. You'll begin to despise that season. So for instance, we've talked about this a little bit, but we have to bring it up because it's such a dangerous it's such a dangerous thing in the church. For instance, uh, some people in the world and some people in the room can recognize the Spirit when worship is really awesome. And some people can recognize the Spirit when Robin McMillan comes and gives a prophetic word. And some people can recognize the Spirit when uh, somebody, when Heidi Baker lays their hands on them and they fall on the floor. But they can't recognize the Spirit when seven-year-old Jesus is at home and it's quiet and he's playing with his friends. Why? Why? Because we've actually trained ourselves to despise the quiet and the subtle. If you can't see them in the quiet, you'll despise them. You'll despise that season of God. The opposite is also true. Uh, There are some people who can see God at work uh, in, in the quiet and who really love to see God at work in the quiet, but when God begins to amplify the volume, they become offended. It's not either or, it's both and. We have to hold them together. Uh, True Christians and true disciples of Jesus are those who have uh, an expectation and an ability to see God at work in the dramatic and in the instantaneous and in what we might call power, but are also those disciples who can see God at work in the quiet and the subtle and the the gradual. and, 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 And we have to hold them together. We can't go here or there. We can't go here or there. We've got we to say both. I, I, I welcome all the seasons of God into my life. Um, this is another reason why we need to, just in the church especially, we need to reconsider revival and renewal culture. Uh, we, one of the things that has to happen, and I believe God is setting it straight right now, but we have to reconsider and we have to rethink revival and renewal culture. Uh, nobody in this room loves a jamming meeting more than I do. Uh, if we're arguing for boring meetings or exciting meetings, I'll take exciting meetings every single day. But we have got to reorient and, and reconsider revival culture because as pre- precious as renewal is, uh, um, there is more. 
There is more. There's, and as awesome as a jamming meeting is, there's more. We need a worldview that doesn't pit revival against regular life. And right now in the church, uh, renewal culture is pitted against regular life. Oh, I want, I want more. I want more. I need more in God. I need more in God. I want to see like a, a massive worldwide revival. Except most of the massive worldwide, worldwide revivals have ruined the leaders and the churches that they started in. This is part of the revival history that no one reads. And there's a reason that no one reads it, because it's depressing. Um, probably my, I've been something of a student of, of like revivals, especially the ones that have happened in the last 300 years. And my favorite probably is the Welsh revival, because it was so unexpected in some ways. Uh, so early 1900s, there's a guy named Evan Roberts. And Evan Roberts had a, a little band of, of believers in a, in a chapel in the middle of Wales called Moriah. And it was just a handful of them. And the spirit began to move in a profound way. And I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but uh, the short story is this. In 10 months through Evan Roberts' ministry, 100,000 people met Jesus. Now, here's what I want to tell you. We don't, uh, we don't even begin... It's difficult to even quantify that, okay? Uh, what I can tell you this, is this right now. There is no one alive whose ministry in terms of bringing people into the kingdom, no one alive today is walking in that kind of thunder, okay? No one is. Can you imagine 100,000 people in 10 months? That's just ridiculous. And this is also a time uh, when there was no internet and uh, there was no email and no one had a cell phone and we couldn't just pass things around. Like, here's a really great sermon. I'll email it to you. None of that. Like, you either had to be there or not. And, and so there was profound, like, sea change. Uh, but the part of the story that no one tells is that uh, Evan Roberts had a physical and psychological breakdown and he lived in seclusion the rest of his life. And he wrote a book that basically said everything that happened in the revival was fake and I no longer believe it. Why? Why? Because there was an understanding of revival culture that despised regular life. And we, we, we cannot... We cannot go for revival culture and renewal culture and cause it to be pitted against regular life because it's unsustainable for the people. And it basically doesn't recognize that God is in today and he's in tomorrow when you take your kids to soccer and he's, he's into you being at the table and he's into the normal rhythms of life. Like if revival hits, like a lot of, us people, are praying, a lot of people are praying for revival around the country right now. They want revival, they want revival. We want God to do something, we want God to do something. And really what they don't realize what they're praying for is I would like to have a meeting every single night and I would like all the families to come to the meeting and I would like to stay up later than we should and I would like to burn out and fry. How many of you understand that that won't, that won't work long term? Okay, This is just a really honest conversation. So what we need is more. But at the same time, what we same time is we need more than just the regular ebb and flow of life. Like we need this over here too. See, like a body without the spirit is dead but a spirit without a body is a ghost. We need both. Right? We need both. We need, we need an understanding of revival culture that doesn't pit it against regular life. It's not either or. It's both and. I bring all this up because it's... The temptation is to play one season off of another and to see God here but not there. Um, bad theology also always places God in a location or in another time. One of the ways you're, you know you're dealing with bad theology is when people try to convince you that God is over here. If you just go over there, then you'll get God. Bad theology is always God is over there or in another time. Good theology is he's here, he was here, and he'll be here, and he's over there, and he's over there, and he's even over there, and he's here. 
and tomorrow. That's good theology. Bad theology is you got to go here and, uh, or maybe wait till uh, 2014. That's when God's going to come because the planets are going to line up and we got a prophetic word. See, here's the thing. He's here. He's all over Campbellsville. And he's never going to be more in Campbellsville than he is right now. There may be a day when Campbellsville sees him more than they do right now, but there's never going to be a day when he's more here than he is right now. People may wake up a little more than they do right now. We're a little bit sleepy. But he's not going to be here more. When we gather, there's not going to ever be a a meeting where he's here more than he is with us right now. The living Son of God is in the room with us right now. That's a promise that I believe. If a couple of you get together in my name, I'm with you. Not only that, but Colossians chapter 2 says that the fullness of deity dwelled in him bodily, meaning Jesus. And then the next verse is ridiculous. And he lives in you. Jesus is here. How do I know that? Because you came. And, and he's never going to be less here because you're here. We might be less aware of it or more aware of it, but he's never going to be more or less here. He's just here. Bad theology always tries to locate Jesus in some church somewhere. Oh, if you go over there and have church, then you'll meet Jesus. What about here? Let's just save the gas money. <laughs> Bad theology always tries to push Jesus into a future realm. Well, he's here. And the reason I know it is because you're here. And I'm here. And we got together. And because he's here, anything could happen. And nothing has to happen. (laughs) See, this is the best part. We can't let go of it. We can't let go of it. Like, in order for him to be here, I don't have to make anything happen because you're here. But because he's here, anything could happen. This is when you know that you're dealing with both ends in the real kingdom. Uh, if you get involved in a camp or a group of people or a group of believers try to convince you that in order for him to be here, we've got to do this or that, just take a step backwards, bro. At the same time, if you get involved with a camp who tries to tell you that the opposite is true, you might want to take a step backwards as well. He's here. I was once involved in a meeting at Andrew and Sarah's house where every single person got healed. I saw 17 people get prayed for and get healed in a matter of about 20 minutes. This is the only time in my life where I've ever seen the scripture. Um, There's several places in the scripture it says where everyone they brought to Jesus. I've only seen that once in my life. I saw it at Andrew and Sarah's house. Joseph Hurchin prayed for 17 people. Every single one of them got instantly healed. Every single one. See, we're here together right now. Uh, Everybody in the room could get healed. Or nothing will happen and he'll still be here. It's the kingdom. Anything can happen, but nothing has to happen. See, the temptation is always to play one season off to another. If you're having a hard time locating the presence and work of God in your life, it's okay. He's there and he's at work. It might be really quiet.
quiet. You, you might just be in the beginning of a gestation season. You might just be a little bit nauseous, and you can't. The only way you know that anything's happening is all is just that you get up in the morning and want to vomit. And you think, man, that's the devil. Maybe it isn't the devil. Maybe it's God. Maybe it may be subtle and it may be quiet, but he's active. Consider the farmer who goes out and sows his field with good seed. And then the next day, a man comes into the field and he looks at that farmer and he says, there's nothing happening here. The crop isn't coming up. The second farmer is actually an idiot. There's all kinds of stuff happening there. The seeds are in contact with the soil and there's moisture in the soil and because the seeds are in contact with moist soil, the hard exterior of that seed is beginning to soften. All kinds of stuff's beginning to happen. It's just stuff you can't measure. See, in the church, we, want to do, we, we, want, we get excited only about things you can measure. In the kingdom of heaven, a good portion of what God, God is doing is immeasurable. And he's still at work. Like, just because you walk into the field and there's not a crop doesn't mean that there isn't a crop there. It just might be under the ground in seed form and it might be softening. There's all kinds of things happening. First thing that comes out is the root. The root comes out before the shoot ever comes out. And if you're a shoot person, you'll miss the root. If you're a shoot person, you'll be depressed when it's just roots going out. We try to play these things off. Now, here's where the trouble is in all this. The trouble is this. Uh, the trouble is when you put all of this season stuff into one room. Uh, the seasons of, and moves of God rarely catch everyone in the same way at the same time. This is a really big deal, okay? This is going to make some people in the room really happy, okay? You need to listen to me. Uh, the seasons and the moves of God rarely catch everybody in the same room the same at the same time, okay? So some of you in the room right now, you're in conception season. And some of the people in this room are in gestation season. Some of you are in the, in the birth pains and, and delivery season. And some of you are in, are in growth and maturation season. And the trouble is, is when we come to church, everybody gets together in the room, and then we begin to look around. And the conception season, people who are uh, naked and laughing are looking at the, at the delivery people who are, who are crying and in pain, and they're, and they're thinking, why don't you just cheer up? And the people who are in growth and maturation, the people who are in, in, in the uh, quiet bewilderment of God, of holding a promise but completely unsure of how this promise even works or what I'm supposed to do with it now, they're looking, they're looking at the people who are, who, are, who are in conception and they're laughing and they're thinking, God's left me. He's just forgotten me. The problem is, is we get together in the room and we just start, we start comparing the trouble is, is that we all tend to personalize the world through our current circumstance. And in doing so, we attract and we repel people based upon the season we're living in. And the trouble is that when we do so, we're probably dissociating ourselves from a large percentage of the body that we're actually connected to. And life can become animated by either judgment or envy, depending on the season that we're living in. See, so much judgment and envy in the church is people comparing the season that they're in with somebody else's season and believing that God has forgotten them. But here's what we need. We need eyes that can see him in it all. We need, we need he- ears that can hear him in it all. 
And, and let me be very clear about something here. Um, not all of the pain, we've been talking a little bit about pain this morning. Not all of the pain in your life is from God. Some of the pain is from the devil. But let me also say this. Not all the pain in your life is from the devil. Some of it's just the, is the process of God working its way out in your life. And, and he's not planting the pain. Uh, let me just say this as well. God is not the author of everything that happens in the world, but he is the editor. And so just because there's pain doesn't mean it came from him, but it does mean that he can edit it and put it to its, his own purpose and use. Does this make sense? See, what we need is we need to see God. We need to see that he's the Lord over every season and that he's working and growing every one of his sons and daughters and that he's always near. He's always near. He is always near. He wasn't more for you in the last season and less for you now. I, I, I really want everybody in the room to hear this and know this in your heart. Like, if you don't get anything else, I, you need to know this. He wasn't more for you last season and less for you now. And just because you're laughing less than you used to doesn't mean that he's less for you than the person two rows up to the left who laughs all the time. Same spirit, same Jesus, same fullness of God living on the inside. Just means you're in different seasons. Begin to look and embrace it. And just because it's quiet doesn't mean that he isn't speaking. He just may have lowered the volume. In fact, most most of most of God's speaking is really quiet. The exception is for it to be loud. Most of it's really, really quiet. The scripture says that he's the God who whispers. Still small voice, right? Any fool can hear the shouting. It takes a lover to hear the whisper. God is so kind. One of the main reasons he whispers is because the only person who can hear the whisper is the person who wants to hear the whisper. And so God is actually doing us a favor by speaking in a way which actually requires that our heart be right in order to hear him, right? Like if God were shouting all the time, we could become terrible people and still hear him, and that'd be the worst thing for us. But he whispers. So just because, just because it's quiet doesn't mean he isn't speaking. There's a really good chance that God is speaking in the quiet. Uh, maybe, maybe you think, I haven't heard the Lord in two months, and I read the Bible and it seems like crickets. Oh, man, he's there and he's talking to you. He's just lowered the volume on you because he's drawing you into a deeper place of actually needing to want to hear from him. Does that make sense? God is so mysterious. He works in such crazy ways. And if life is mysterious, it doesn't mean that you're on the outer loop. It may just mean that you're standing on the edge of infinity. It may be that you're in contact with God. Sometimes the most mysterious moments of my life wasn't because I was out of step with him. They were mysterious because I was in step with him. Sometimes we think, that uh, being next to God means that everything's going to make sense. Uh, for the disciples, that was rarely true. Being next to Jesus uh, m- mostly made things more confusing at first. And God is going to take us through this series and this season of mystery. Like one of the things he's wanting to do right now. If things seem really polarized and mysterious, it might mean that you're out of step with him or it might just mean that you're right with him and you're... Why? Because the God who can create pregnancy without sex is near you. The God who is Father, Son, and Spirit at the same time 
is with you. The God who speaks the world, the worlds by his words lives inside of us. And the God who won a victory by, by becoming a victim. This, I, I don't get that. It's mysterious. You should take a deep breath. Everybody, no joke, no, in the joke. Just let all that anxiety go. Why? Because he's with you. Like right now, he's with you. He's living inside of you. And he's for you. Even if it's quiet. And even if you got a promise and you're in a season right now, it's the exact opposite of the promise. He's with you. Amen? Yeah. There are not seasons when God is at work and seasons when he is not at work. There are just seasons when he is at work. We're not either or people. We're not revival or drying up. We're yes. We're not, we're, we're not regular or super. We're just yes. We're not natural or supernatural. We're just yes. We're holding on, we're holding on to it all. I have hope for the future, but I also have a lot of hope today because hope lives inside me. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. I have a feeling there's some people in the room who just feel so confused about the season that they're in. And, and if that's you, you should come up and let us pray for you. All right? God wants to God wants to give you his presence. Why don't you stand up? I want to pray for everybody in the room. Oh, Lord, we love you. God, you're the, you're the God who is both there and here. You're the God who's always at work. Now, Father, I ask that you would open up our eyes. Father, would you open up our eyes to the degree that you are at work in the world and to the degree that you are at work in our lives? God, I ask that you would that you would make us disciples who don't lose heart. Father, I ask that you would form us into people like Abraham and Sarah who can just walk with you and walk with you and walk with you. Even when it seems like the promise is delayed, God, we can just we just walk with you and we don't lose heart. You're at work. God, for everyone in here who has a promise and is currently disappointed by the lack of that promise in their life, I ask that you would that you come and encourage them. God, for everybody who has a promise that is seemingly evaporated, I ask that you would come alongside right now. Give us faith, Lord.
Give us faith. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer for anything, if you're sick in your body or you need to respond to the word, why don't you come on up? We want to pray for you. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Amen.